is Ryan Stacy, and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by my hockey resource and Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm drawn by Dave Smith, head coach with RPI. An experienced NCAA bench boss, Dave understands the unique nature of the role at the collegiate level, diving into topics such as recruitment, academics, and the management of a student-athlete schedule. Bringing it all together, he gives us another angle on the industry and one that adds to the ever-growing knowledge base that we have here in the podcast vault. With that, I am happy to present to you Dave Smith, head coach with RPI. As sports fans, we're keeping our eyes on many different sports at this time of year, but looking at basketball, we all know that it's that time of year again. Bubble teams are making their final push for a bid, while the top seeds are preparing for what they hope is a long run. And DraftKings is giving all customers a free shot at up to $100,000 in total prizes. All you have to do is head to the DraftKings app and make your picks. Download the DraftKings app, head to their free-to-play pools page, and enter DraftKings' free $100,000 tournament seeding pool. Free-to-play pools are easy to play. All you have to do is make your picks for who you think will get a ticket into March's biggest tournament. If you have the most answers correct, you win and the bank is open. Plus, don't forget about golf's fifth major this weekend, taking place in Florida, where DraftKings will have even more money up for grabs. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN to get a free shot at a share of $100,000 in total prizes with DraftKings Tournament Seeding Pool. That's promo code THPN to get a free shot at $100,000 in prizes, only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Dave Smith, head coach with RPI. Dave, thanks for joining the podcast. You're welcome. It's great to be here with you. Yeah, I'm uh, very excited to have you on and and talk about the NCAA game and some of the experiences that you've had uh, in particular. So, Let's dive right into it here. Maybe just give people a little bit of a background on you, including where you're from, speak to your upbringing, and then playing sports throughout your youth. Yeah, the, um, <laughs> there's so many different directions these can go. But I grew up in uh, a town I'm very, very proud of, a small town called Arthur, Ontario, about 45 minutes northwest of Guelph. Um, at the time I was growing up, we had 1,200 people, and um, you know we got to play every sport. It was, uh, you know, my graduating class in, in high school, grade 13 in Ontario, um, had, I think, 16 people in it. But we had the same five guys played basketball. We played volleyball. We played baseball. Um, you know, we did everything. Uh, very competitive environment. And uh, growing up there, uh, I think, in, in that small town with a lot of trust in the community, we could do um we could do everything. And uh, I really loved it. Um, you know, from there, I ended up going and playing junior B hockey um, a couple of years in Elmira, a year in Stratford. And then I went on 
onto Ohio State, but um, every sport all the time was uh, what I wanted to do growing up. Yeah, it's always uh, interesting to hear your involvement in the game growing up. And definitely whenever we've had someone from a smaller town, you know, you go through the experience of being able to play pretty much every sport, like you said. And I think that definitely uh, fuels your passion just for sports overall and not only hockey, but uh, for you, hockey was definitely the area that you would, you know, go into more. So let's talk about your playing career a little bit and just walk us through some of the places that you played and your experience at these different levels uh, in the game. Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, you know, going to Ohio State was really important step for me, um, playing for Jerry Welsh and, and having, you know, it's a massive school. I was a small fish in a really big pond, and that was good for me. I just, you know, settled in and, and, and played hockey from there. You know, I didn't know what level I could play at post-college, um, but was fortunate in my first year. I split the season between – Fort Wayne in the International League and and Dayton in the East Coast League and then finished the year in Fort Wayne and we won a championship. Um, back to Fort Wayne the next year. Then the journey sort of picks up a little bit of pace. Um, signed with the Rangers, uh, was with them for a year in Binghamton. Um, back to the IHL now. Uh, Detroit got traded to Long Beach. Actually got traded to LA. Franchise moved to Long Beach. Those are two great years. Um, then I got traded to Orlando, re-signed in Orlando, still in the IHL, um, got traded to San Antonio. Uh, and then uh, that was my last year playing, uh, which would have been 98 in San Antonio. Yeah, anytime that you can have those different experiences in different cities is always great. But as people know, in the minor leagues, there is a lot of movement and, you know, sometimes it's out of your control. It could be the parent club or, or teams moving. There's always different factors, but was interested to to hear about some of those places that you were able to go to in your career, just looking at your resume and, uh, you know, kind of leading into your coaching career there. Well, I, I, when I think back, I made great friends, um, probably made some enemies too, but I made great friends, uh, people that I stay in touch with to this day, um, guys that I, I, you know, we had a great connection when we played and, um, we've continued that connection. And I also played for some great coaches, um, some, some real, um, call them legends of the game, whether it be, you know, John Van Boxmere, Bruce Boudreau, Claude Noel, um, Al Sims, um, you know, Rick Dudley, Steve Ludzik. I was fortunate uh, to play for a lot of great guys. Kurt Fraser, um, you know, just some people that for me, uh, whether I knew it at the time or not, were influential in uh, – in how I coach today um, and what we, you know, what we experienced as players then. Um, I don't know if we attributed it all, a lot of that to the coaches. Um, but now as a coach, I think we recognize that a lot of the player experience um, is in that relationship with the coach. Yeah, for sure. And you talk about that relationship and, and kind of teaching you things along the way as a player uh, from a coaching perspective. And eventually you would make the transition into coaching yourself. Uh, talk about your start in coaching and what you learned in that first role, uh, albeit an assistant role. So I began, uh, I began my coaching at Miami of Ohio um, in 98 and uh, um, Mark Mazzoli was the head coach. And, you know, I went there in September when Bob Motzko, who's the current coach of Minnesota, he left Miami of Ohio and went to Minnesota as an assistant back then. So um, I was a free agent, if you will. School had already started at Miami and in a number of places. And I was uh, had a contract to go back and play in Fort Wayne. But 
really jumped at the opportunity um, to, to be a full-time coach. It's so hard to get these positions. And I was fortunate that coach Mazzolini, um, you know, brought me on and that was, that was my beginning after year one, he took the job at Harvard and Rico Blasi um, became the head coach at Miami. And we stayed myself and Joe Bonnet, the assistants, uh, we stayed for, for the next year. Um, and then Rico brought in his guys. I went to Bowling Green. Joe went to Colorado College. Um, I worked two years with Buddy Powers um, there. Um, Buddy got replaced. Uh, I moved on to Mercyhurst with Rick Gotkin for three years. Um, really, uh, you know, cherished those times with Coach Gotkin. He's a, he's a terrific human. We had great success on the ice, um, but we really had a lot of fun together off the ice. Um, really, really our family enjoyed our time with the Gotkins in, in Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, from there, that uh, transitioned to uh, my first head coaching job at, at Canisius, where I spent um, 12 years in Buffalo. Our kids, uh, we have two daughters, them experiencing high school um, all in the same place, you know, most of their grade school and then high school all in the same place. And then uh, four years ago, took the uh, took the move down here to RPI. It's been quite the journey for sure, and uh, a lot to unpack there. So let's go uh, through some of those positions. Uh, moving into Bowling Green, just talk about uh, the process of joining Bowling Green and maybe how that coaching role was different uh, from your previous one. Yeah, well, I think you know when I went into Miami, um, Coach Mazzolini had been there and um, for a while, and you know, wasn't anticipating him, him leaving. When I got to Bowling Green, um, Coach Powers was, was, there was some pressure on the hockey team to have success or a change was potentially going to be made. So we, we tried to put a plan together to, to win right away. And at the same time, um, you know, be able to sustain something. So in terms of, you know, uh, what would the job doing, they weren't much different. Um, we would work on skill development at those times and, and recruiting and, and, and video, right. Just really trying to um, put, make our team, team better, follow the head coach's direction and make our team better. And in those days, uh, when I, the biggest switch from Miami to Bowling Green uh, at that time, so we're talking about 1999 to 2000, um, we still had VHS to VHS tape. Um, at Miami and we switched to uh, sports code game breaker. Um, I think it was called game breaker uh, in 2000 at Bowling Green. And that really uh, started to see a change um, how we did things on the video side. Definitely. When you can use a different program like that, uh, it will change your approach for sure. And everybody knows around that time, uh, you know, changes were starting to happen in terms of uh, how video was being used and different things in hockey operations and, you're able to learn that at Bowling Green and then move into Mercyhurst again uh, in an assistant coaching role. Uh, just talk about some of the things that you had to deal with there specifically and maybe how you approach this now having a couple different experiences as an assistant coach. Well, one of the biggest differences now is all, most programs have a director of hockey operations uh, who coordinates team travel, um, probably does some video. Some have both. Um, but in, in that era, uh, we did everything ourselves. So um, at Bowling Green, we had two full-time assistants. At Mercyhurst, the next stop, we had uh, a full-time assistant 
and then a, a part-time assistant who had to split duties on campus. So the responsibilities of travel in that scenario, the head coach did them. Coach Gottkin did the team travel because he was on every trip. And most of the video breakdown um, fell to one of the, the two assistants, but the other assistant had other duties on campus. So um, at that time you did and we did whatever needed to be done. And I look at the, the volume of work that we do nowadays with the director of hockey ops and two full-time assistants and um, an athletic department that's you know, focused on, on helping our program. Um, there was a lot of things that got left by the wayside uh, back then. Yeah, it would be a different role for sure. And then having all those added responsibilities, uh, you know, like a smaller program now, uh, you usually don't think about that division one, but uh, you know, it's definitely uh, different in the way that the role has changed today. And, uh, you know, because you were able to do all those different things at that time, you're able to have more experiences and probably still use some of the things you learned in those roles today. But the next opportunity I want to talk about is working as a head coach at Canisius. Uh, you know, you said you spent a number of years there. Just talk about going in there as a head coach and kind of uh, defining a role and building that program over a number of years. Yeah. And, you know, just to touch briefly, think about what we were doing at Mercyhurst um, and how it translated to the, the future years at Canisius. I mean, we would set up the camera. Um, we would make sure the video was hooked up and then we'd teach a student sometimes the minutes before the game started how to hit certain buttons on the, on the video to, to get the most out of the live, live breakdown. So now when I get to Canisius and they had never had a full-time assistant coach before, they were, um, you know, very, uh, they wanted to improve the program um, in a manner. So we added a full-time assistant and a grad assistant. So at least it resembled what we had um, at, at Mercyhurst. But now as the head coach, I had learned from Coach Godkin that you got to dig in and do things. So I was still setting up the video camera. I was trying to, every year I would train the grad assistant on how to do the video breakdown. Um, team travel, we divided and, and conquered. So um, we wore many different hats. And as a head coach, you have more of an opportunity to put your, um, your, your stamp or your make a footprint um, on the program. And it was really such a blur because we were doing everything we were trying to um, you know at least give the perception that we had everything under control and we had everything that we um, needed to be great but that meant a lot of work one of the things I remember and this was a couple years into uh, my career as head coach at Canisius um, Sean Roach who uh, uh, has been with the Rangers in the in the NHL and I think he's currently at Quinnipiac um, as their ops guy and video guy, uh, he was taking our video and in order to get it to the players, we had to, um, we had to, to transition. It had to change two different times. So we would record it on our computer and then we would have to change it to something else. And we had to change it to something else, uh, so that the guys could watch it on their iPads at the time. And the time that it took to do that process did not lend itself to convenience um, and the effort that it put just to go through all those things. But I was able to, 
at Canisius, we had a, a sport marketing, a sport management program, had a lot of people that loved hockey. We brought in a lot of volunteers to help divvy up those duties. And we, we were spent a lot of time teaching and training people to uh, do the things that helped us um, be a better program. Yeah, it's always beneficial when you can have uh, definitely students and volunteers and people that just want experience in the game. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think about the the role of a video coordinator or, or things along those lines. And uh, they can definitely tell it's a, a very technical job, but it uh, you can be slowed down by something like that for sure. So it's great that you had the help there and that Canisius was, uh, you know, are you able to build the program into a, a better version uh, when you left as opposed to when you got there? and looking at today you're now with rpi uh the division one program and you've enjoyed that experience for um the time you've been there just talk about the uh the overall uh you know journey with that team and and where you see the program today well i think because of what we've talked about you know along the way from playing to miami bowling green Mercyhurst, canisius um and especially my time at canisius we built something and now um, we're, we're building something here. RPI is a, is a historic program with two national championships. Um, but the, the school itself had um, maybe stopped paying as much attention to it as we as coaches would have, have liked. Um, so when they make a coaching change, it gets the school's attention back. And, you know, Coach Appert, who's now um, in Rochester in the American League, has shown that he's a, you know, an excellent coach. Um, but it brought the spotlight back to us and we were able to, you know, get a full-time hockey operations person. But the theme for me and for, for really what I've done is that hasn't changed is that we're a builder. I'm a builder and now we're building this back up. And, you know, there's there were some tough years, uh, you know, I've only been here four years. We're not playing games this year because of COVID, which is a challenging year. We only had six wins in, in our first year, but then we went to, you know, 11 wins, uh, 10 or 11 wins. And then we went to 17 wins and the trajectory and building a program on and off the ice is very rewarding. And uh, the people at RPI recognize that the fans, we've got tremendous fans and, and the support that we get in the capital region is outstanding. Um, and they love that our players are do well in school. They love that our guys are in the community. They love, and the players love the development. So um, it is about building something that we can all at RPI be proud of. And um, I think I take a lot of pride in that. Like you said, being a builder and seeing that progression during your time there, it's very rewarding. And then, uh, you know, as, as successful as you've been on the ice, having your players, you know, succeeding in their classes and getting out in the community and the fan base, you know, all off ice things, that's uh very rewarding as well. And it, uh, you know, just motivates you to do better in your role. Well, it's, it's one of those ones and, and we often joke about it, but um, everybody ends up in men's league, right? We all end up there and um, cause we love the game, but how can we most enhance their careers as people? And um, you know, our guys value education. And our GPA is now at a, a 3.5, 3.6 at RPI, which is a super challenging school. But it's because we set standards for the guys. And um, our development plan, which takes everybody from video to ops to our assistant coaches, like we're so proud of all the effort that we're putting in. Um, but it makes a difference in, in our young men's lives um, until they get to and beyond um, the men's league. Yeah, for sure. And 
you know, just talking about the process and everything that you're doing with your program, a lot of people maybe don't know the exact process and say game day, like your day-to-day job. So maybe take us through a day in your position and just talk about your preparation process uh, for maybe a big game. Yeah. The, um, well, they're all big games, right? Uh, there's no such thing as a game that we do that we take lightly. Um, and I don't think it would be accurate or fair to describe one day um, because the days and, and what we've recognized now being off of practices and games because of COVID is that the thing we miss the most is the pace of every day. So a typical week for us, and you can pick any day to start it on, but um, as a staff, our operations guy breaks down, you know, four to six games of our future opponent. We would get those on Saturday night after the game. Sometimes we get them on the bus. Sometimes we, we don't open them till Sunday morning, but then we, we at the same simultaneously, we're looking at our team and we're looking at our future opponent. Um, both on video and nowadays we all take our computer and we can sit in our own seat or we can go home and we come back we plug in and we have everybody's thoughts and clips um, all in one place uh, then we you know Monday morning is a big uh, after action review where what did we do well last weekend what do we need to do better at and what's the plan moving forward and we take that uh, across the board and everything in, in travel communication on the bench obviously our systems play individual conversations. So that's our Monday morning. Um, at the same time, then we have to plan practice for the week. So what we do um, at RPI is we set the theme for the week um, at that point. And uh, Coach Weber, who's, who's unbelievable, we're fortunate to have him, and Coach Mosier, who's also a terrific coach, they then can map out the, the practice plan for the week. Um, while all that's happening, we're, we're dealing with the media, we're dealing with... Uh, you know, the requests that come in there and, and they usually come, you know, before and after every practice. Um, and then it's the individual, whether it be skill development, uh, use of video team, you know, presentations, uh, whether it be on a something system, you know, Tuesdays are, uh, you know, Monday's a skill day, uh, Tuesday, um, we'll show the special teams video. So we've got to be prepared for that. Um, Thursday, we do the five on five pre-scout, um, all the while thinking about personal and individual skill development, checking in on their academics. Um, Friday is probably the slowest day, but we're putting in our last minute, um, you know, making sure our game cards are right, making sure the lineup is right, the, the pregame skate, the lift, um, all of those things are, are fully functioning. And then we you know, then we hit the ice for, for, for warm up and, uh, and the game. After the game, we take our computers. I'm not a big fan of immediately after the game, replaying the game as a staff. Um, I want us to, you know, sit, take a breath and, and relax. Um, and we take our computers home. We all have our area. We come back early in the morning and put together our thoughts for that, that meeting. And again, the after action review, what did we do well? What do we need to do better? What's the plan? for tonight then we do the pre-scout um then we get back at it and then we start all over saturday night after the game our ops guy has the video um and i really i miss that pace right now again i I rolled through it i think fairly quickly but um right now we don't have that pace we don't have that next pre-scout next practice next video session next game next travel 
um, with confirmation. So um, I miss it. And I'll be looking forward to getting back to it. Yeah, I think everybody thinks about the players and how much they like routine. But uh, while every day may be a little bit different and you have to deal with different things, coaches and people in hockey operations like that routine or fast pace, as you mentioned. So uh, I'm sure others can, uh, you know, relate to that and feel the same way that they miss the uh, the pace of the the daily grind, uh, especially going through COVID here. Uh, Absolutely, it's it's what I mean. You get to see what your staff is, right? I mean, you you sometimes you're in a in a meeting and the meeting ends and you've got 20 minutes to accomplish seven things, and if you don't have a great staff, and we're fortunate with Matthias Lang. Um, alumni of RPI is our ops guy, Coach Mosier, I've mentioned Coach Weber, um, Dana McGuane, our equipment guy, um, Austin Jones, our, our medical guy. Like it's seven things in 20 minutes, boom, go. And we all, because we have this, we have a monthly meeting, we have a weekly meeting, we're all on the same page, hopefully, and, and we were able to get things done. It, that's, the, that's what you miss is that elbow to elbow accomplishing something. And you walk in the room and you take a breath before you go in and you say, all right no one knows that this just came together 25 seconds ago. Let's get it done. Yeah. The perks of a well-oiled machine. Uh, you know, you, you've been able to do a lot of things uh, in your career coaching and, and take on a bunch of different roles. And a lot of people may relate uh, the role of a college coach, uh, you know, closely with recruiting and just talking with players, uh, you know, prospective players uh, for you personally, what are some of the tasks that you deal with in that area? And uh, just talk about the role maybe of a coach at the college level uh, in terms of looking for players, you know, two or three years down the road. Yeah, it's, it's something, you know, there's only three of us on our staff that are allowed to um, speak with um, recruits off of campus. And um, Coach Mosier and Coach Weber, they sort of share their recruiting uh, coordinator responsibilities. Um, but it's their job to, to get out, use the internet, get out in person, and find people that, that match our mission, that share our values, that, that value education, that, that want to play in the National Hockey League. Um, the amount of time and energy that go into recruiting, it's probably, you know, in a regular year, it's, it's 40% of, of their time. Um, the other, you know, 60% is with our team. And sometimes those get flip-flopped because recruiting is that important. It's constant phone calls. It's, it's sharing um, you know, emails, it's, it's communication with their coaches, with their influencers in their life and building that connection. And one thing that I like to do is I like to try and keep it fresh. Like how are we stealing from other, other businesses, other companies? What does AT&T do well? What does Verizon do well in their sales of their, um, their, their product? How do we best sell ourselves as an elite hockey program and how do we find the right people so we spend a lot of time on the on the structure of recruiting um, getting as many names in and creating filters um, that if the right name comes out the top of the filter that means we've got a really good person and a really good player and but the amount of uh, time that it takes and an effort is um it's quite honestly, it's absurd. And the clock doesn't stop when you're, when you're recruiting, it's, um, you know, calls at seven at night, calls at dinner time, sometimes breakfast, emails, text messages, um, anything and everything. And, um, the, the heaviest part of that lift is on coach Weber and coach Mosier. Um, often I'm on a, they, they ask me, Hey, can I do this? Can I go here? Can I do that? But they're coordinating most of the efforts and 
uh, even to this day, we still meet uh, on recruiting every week, even during the pandemic with no practice or games. Um, but we talk multiple times a day via text and phone messages to, to stay current with each other. It's a grind that never really stops. And, uh, you know, when you have a program, you know, like college or junior hockey, anything along those lines where you generally only have players for a few years, uh, it's definitely important to make sure that you continually have players coming into your program that both fit your, um, you know, requirements with academics, but also the style of play, because there really isn't a whole lot of time to, uh, you know, change a player's style or, or work on certain things uh, before you need them pretty much game ready. You've has coached a lot of players, and I'm sure a lot of players uh, look back on their time with you and have things that they've t- learned from you and things that they've taken from you and your teachings. If a player was to talk about you specifically, what kind of coach do you think they would describe you as? And then in turn, uh, what would you say in terms of your own style? Well, I love this question because you've asked me instead of asking them. Um, and, and you're probably going to get a wide range of answers because um, first and foremost, uh, you know, I'm a guy that, that wants continual improvement. So I'm going to keep pushing guys and I'm going to keep asking them to do more and to do, you know, nobody says I'm going to get better by doing less, maybe rest and recovery fall under that category. But um, when you have that approach um, and an intensity to the process that, you know, show up on time, um, take your hat off, sit in the first three rows of your class. um, It all falls under the umbrella for me of every day a champion. And I've said that since I've become a head coach and, and I hold on dearly to that. But by having that as a, as a slogan, a motto, a a philosophy, some people are comfortable with it and the connection is immediate and, and, and strong. Other people, it takes a little while and it feel like we're beating them down. So I think every recruit um, goes through the process. They get a sense for us. Every player on our team comes and they're at different stages of their life. But I think um, when you ask for championship level interaction in everything we do, um, the way they respond to that and describe me can vary. Um, I think people know that I care. I think people know that I um, work exceptionally hard, I'm very passionate about the game and um, want excellence. I want champions. Now champions isn't just about lifting the trophy, but we want to lift trophies also. So the players, uh, you know, there's some unbelievable relationships created with, you know, those guys have become our friends. And then there's other guys that it, it wasn't as, as strong a connection as you hope for in the recruiting process. And I think that goes with, uh, with coaching and demanding, um, you know, excellence all the time. With that style of play, uh, you know, in, in terms of the style of person that you want, the way that you approach the game, uh, what kind of style do you look to have your teams play on the ice? And then uh, how much does this style of play factor into the type of players that you bring in you know, in addition to the personalities and things that we've talked about uh, previously to this question. Yeah, the, the, the on the ice, and I really believe we're trying to play a complete game. Um, we talk about it as a 400 foot game, 200 feet of offense, 200 feet to, of defense in the, in the entire rink. Um, and we want our players to use their gifts. So some guys might skate better. Some guys might shoot better. Some are better scorers. Some are better checkers but we ask them to do everything at the highest level possible and let us then put them in a position for not only them to be successful, but for our team to be successful because of them. 
and you know so the the, the style is i mean our, our our culture statement is that we're player driven with a relentless pursuit of excellence so when we talk about on ice style um that is critical because we want to pursue excellence in every facet of the game for every single player um, in terms of the person we do a lot with personality profiles and communication styles and um, shared values uh, to make sure that uh, the people that are a piece of our program understand that they're very valuable they're very valuable and um, you know all boats can rise with the tide but you know, a leaky boat can sink it. Um, so let's make sure that uh, we're on board um, at the beginning during the recruiting process and and the training process once they arrive on campus for the first time. Yeah, all great points. And, you know, the the thoroughness in, in the thought process and recruiting and, and looking at a team is uh, something that's really improved over time at the NCAA level as the level of play has grown. Uh, you know, you've been there for a while and able to coach a couple different programs. Just looking at college hockey as a whole, how do you feel the game has changed and, uh, you know, pretty much grown over the last number of years? Well, it's so fast um, and, and the players are so talented and, uh, you know, they all they all come with an awareness. Uh, sometimes it's a strength, sometimes it's a fault, an awareness of each other because of the Internet now. They know who the good players are. Some of these guys have been friendly with each other, but they've never met, whether it be, you know, uh, Twitter, Snapchat, whatever they're, they're doing, they're aware of a good play. So uh, I remember when I was a, a player in college, an event happened in another game. Um, in a, you know, we found out about it two and a half weeks later when the VHS tape arrived. Now, if something happens um, on the ice, you pretty much know about it within 30 seconds. And that might be a long time. Um, so these players um, are connected and um, that presents different good challenges. Um, but I like that part. Yeah, it's great to hear. And, uh, you know, everybody can see that the, uh, the game has changed and, and definitely with the, uh, you know, the technology change and how fast everything is, is viewed, it's uh, become a, a development route in that way. And, you know, today we're seeing a lot of high quality NHL players uh, going to NCAA route and, and seeing that as a development phase uh, for the pro game. Um, you know, as that's become really a, a focal point in NHL uh, prospect development uh, in recent years, how do you look to boost development and has that maybe changed the style of coaching that you've uh, used in the last say five, six years? Uh, it, ha it hasn't changed our style. We want to develop guys for the national hockey. That's their dream. Um, and I do not want to be a guy that says no to somebody's dream. So we want to enable them um, as best we can. Sometimes that means having a, an honest conversation with them. So we may have a top scorer, whose dream is to play in the National Hockey League. And an example would be, listen, you're, you're an elite scorer, but you're not good enough to be top six in the NHL. You're an elite scorer in college. So how do we hold on to that gift and use that gift and keep him getting better so that he can fill a role at, in the National Hockey League? And sometimes that's just a, an awareness, a self-awareness and a conversation with us that um, – you know, you use all of the tools at your disposal. We use technology. We use we use video, whether it be from um, you know Instat or 
player comparisons. So we can pull up these clips and say, look at this is a guy who's same height as you, skates the same as you, shoots the same as you. Why is he able to play um, in this role in the National Hockey League when you're actually the same as him? So we, we use the video and all the technology possible to make those comparisons, but we push them and we try to help all these guys achieve their dream of playing at the highest level possible. Yeah. And that's ultimately the goal for any program that's, uh, you know, viewed as a development route. You always want to push your players forward and, and see them succeed. And a lot of times when people in hockey operations have this mindset, they also want to give back to others in the game, in hockey operations, prospective coaches, people looking to grow through the ranks and, um, a lot of times you can do that through idea sharing. And I know you're one of those people who like to get involved in podcasts, conferences, anywhere you can share those ideas. Uh, for you, why do you feel it is important to share these ideas and open up about areas uh, for you know younger coaches and people looking to progress throughout the, the different ranks of hockey? You know, re- really, I think it's, um, you know, our role as the head coach in a Division One college hockey program is, is that of a leader. And I think leaders need to have different sources of knowledge. I had somebody once say to me, if you're not reading books or talking to people, how are you gaining anything new? Um, so I, I, I like to listen to the podcast. I like to share information. I like to give information. Um, I like to talk to people outside of our game, um, whether that be basketball, soccer, football, how are they recruiting? How are they coaching? What's the diversity of the information that's coming into us? Um, And we may see something in another sport technically that we can tweak to our sport. Um, So, you know, the the real focus for me is, you know, I answer three questions. What, what, where am I looking to anticipate change? Right. I can watch the NHL. I can also watch youth hockey. I can watch female hockey. I can watch, male hockey i can watch european hockey so what where are the trends um you know the nhl has that uh habit of when the heavy team wins the stanley cup everybody switches to heavy when the fast team wins everybody switches to fast but where do we look to anticipate change the second question is what's the diversity measure of our network like where am i getting new information from other sports from our business professors um, from our student athletes from our students And the third question is, am I courageous enough to abandon the past and change to something new, right? So that to me is what leadership is all about. And and sharing ideas is front and center for those those things. You know, you you said some quotes there just about uh, looking for new information and you can learn so much from different people. And the people at My Hockey Resource think the same way. They're a community on Discord. They have pro coaches college coaches, video analysts, every position you can name it in the game is there. And they talk about a lot of these ideas, but they also like to uh, share things like books, podcasts, different articles that they read and that they enjoy. So for anybody listening who likes to learn in this way as well, be sure to check out My Hockey Resource on Twitter and Instagram. Dave, for you, uh, looking at podcasts, articles, books, specifically outside of the people that you like to connect with, uh, what are some of your favorite resources that you like to learn from? Well, I love Audible. I love the audio books um, as a tool. And I, I think, you know, when I first started, it was, um, you know, spending so much time in, in a plane, on a bus, in a car, recruiting, um, even to and from work. And I've listened to some unbelievable audio books. Um, 
uh, one of my most recent favorites was uh, Annie Duke. I think it might be Dr. Annie Duke. She's the poker player. A lot of people know her as a poker player, but the book she wrote um, was How to Decide. And uh, I've really, I've, I've got about an hour left in that audiobook. It's It's phenomenal. Um, I know over my, my shoulder, I keep, uh, I keep, I keep books that, um, you know, I often reference and uh, one of my all time favorites is blink. And, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a phenomenal read. I love the John Gordon sequence. I know right now I read, it's a very easy read called making my, making your bed or make my bed, making your bed. Um, that's not a John Gordon one, but those simple messages, easy to read uh ones and you know the various different podcasts that you can listen to and um, there's so many resources that are not you know voice to voice more listening reading and learning that are also very very valuable yeah just so many resources out there and many that you just talked about aren't actually hockey related and just so many things that you can tie back into the game and uh for you that's just one of those things that you you look to do with whether it be people in other sports or just people in business as you've referenced earlier in the podcast uh so many different areas that you can draw information from and and bring it back into the game of hockey throughout your career you've had a lot of people teach you and you've had a lot of interaction uh a lot of times people find that to get to where you are today in a position as you are in NCAA you got to have people like mentors who guide you in different directions. Uh, for you, looking back, who are some of those mentors who helped guide you in the game and what are some of the major lessons that they taught you collectively? Yeah, I think about, um, you know, when I was a senior in college, I sent out almost 100 letters uh, to various people. I got three responses, um, three good responses. I had a number of not good responses. Um, but it was, it was hard copy letters at that time. And those three people, uh, Mark Taylor, who's the head coach at Hobart, um, really was influential later on in life. Um, uh, we ran a hockey, we worked a hockey school together and um, he prepared me to be an assistant hockey coach. He told me what the day in the life was and we've remained friends and uh, I, I still call on him and we talk hockey and, and get some advice. Another guy was Mark Morris um, at the time was the head coach at Clarkson um, reached out and just said, Hey, how can I help? And I think this is great what you're doing. And um, that friendship has, has been excellent learning from him. Um, the third one was very instrumental in, in a lot of steps along the way, but Tim Taylor, um, who the legendary coach at Yale coached in the, the coach, the USA team in the Olympics, um, he actually got helped me get a, a contract as a player. Um, I didn't know him at the time um, and became a resource uh, through coaching uh, because of somebody that I had played pro with um, and got connected and, and those relationships. Once I got into coaching, um, Rick Gotkin at, uh, at Mercier's was, is, is at the top of the list for um, just people that you want to do as they do. He cares about people so much. He's been very successful over 30 years there, um, has success on the ice, off the ice, and, and a lot of fun doing it. Um, and then really just the, the network of assistant coaches that uh, have pushed and prodded and, 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 you know, we've accomplished great things together. Sometimes trophies at the end, sometimes not. But um, I consider each of those guys mentors because um, we go through a lot of shared experiences and 
we learn a lot from each other as we go. And, and there's a lot of great ideas um, coming from each of them. So, uh, so many, everybody we come across has an influence in one way or another. Um, but uh, those would be the, uh, at the top of my list right there. Some great names that you mentioned. And I also like the fact that you touched on some peer to peer mentors and uh, that's something that we've heard a lot on the podcast is the fact that a lot of times these people are just colleagues and, and sometimes they're even younger than you and everywhere that you look, there's somebody that can help teach you something if you're willing to listen and, and connect with them on a, on a personal level. As a final question here on the podcast today, if you could go back in time, maybe talking to yourself when you were still playing or maybe someone else who's looking to get into the game, what is one piece of advice that you would give them in hopes that they would succeed in coaching and hockey operations? Ah, man. Um, I would say really take responsibility over pay. Um, the more responsibility that you can have, be ready to accept the responsibility, um, but take on as much responsibility, learn as many things as you can, because as you move up, the, the pace slows down and you take on more. So if you make it a habit to accept a lot of responsibility, eventually it slows down, but you can find yourself uh, to be a high, high output person um, who accomplishes a lot of things and includes um, other and include other people on that journey. So that would probably be the one thing like uh, jump in, don't be afraid to ask for responsibility, follow through with it, get it done right. And when you get comfortable, then, then take on more. Yeah, tremendous piece of advice. And I think uh, anybody listening, uh, you know, I, I would second that in the fact that always take the responsibility and opportunity because, uh, you know, you, and now a lot of people get rich in this game as much as we'd like to. It's, uh, it's all about the journey and the experiences that you've had along the way. So uh, continue to grow and, uh, you know, good things will come in that way. So, Dave, I just want to thank you once again for joining me on the podcast and talking about your experience in the game and talking about college hockey. I know you said you missed the pace here, but hopefully things are back to normal soon enough. And I wish you all the best moving forward. Well, thank you so much. Um, I really enjoy what you're doing and then reaching out to people and, and generating these conversations that, uh, you know, I benefit from it, you benefit from it and everybody that listens to it can maybe take a nugget or two from, from everybody. And uh, I, I enjoy what, what you're doing and thank you to you. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Take care. I'd like to again, thank Dave for joining me on today's podcast. Anytime an experienced coach joins the podcast, I find myself personally learning a lot throughout the conversation. So again, I'd like to thank him for coming on and sharing his insight. If you would like to get in touch with Dave to learn about his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly, or you can contact HockeyMindsPodcast at Outlook.com, and I can help make that connection for you. Next on the podcast, I'll be joined by Lindsay Hofford, former NHL Assistant General Manager and Director of Scouting. When you have your name associated with teams like the London Knights, Toronto Maple Leafs, and Arizona Coyotes, among others, there is bound to be some great experiences and perspectives to share. So for anyone who is interested in the world of scouting, I highly recommend you check out this upcoming release on Sunday. Thanks again to everyone for listening to the podcast as of late and for allowing us to continually grow the brand. Be sure to check out our website for more news, guest bios, conference content, and the latest edition of our Hockey Minds newsletter, which should be appearing very shortly. As always, stay safe, and all the best.